if you read quickly from Job chapter 2 verse 17 that Pentecostal prophet in the book of Joel you're moving toward the book of Acts when you get to the book of Acts you take that great great theological leap out of Matthew Mark Luke John into the action book of your Bible the Acts of the Apostles. And when you get there, the God in Christ, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, suddenly becomes the Christ in you. When I receive Holy Communion this morning, as I do every morning of my life, when I receive Holy Communion, I pray that high, a portion of that high priestly prayer of Jesus of Nazareth where he said, Father, I pray that I will be in them and they will be in me as I am in you and you are in me. So now when we get over here in the great Pentecostal prophet Joel, he's got a very, very, very important message for us. Look at verse 17. Here it is. Let the priests weep between the porch and the altar. My question, very briefly, is this. How many weeping prophets are left? How many weeping preachers are left? How many weeping saints are left? Where are the tears upon the altar for your 15-year-old that if they were in a car accident today would spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. This is why I asked you just to be a little bit thoughtful today because I want to bring you a word along these lines. Weeping between the porch and the altar. It comes from a thought in my newest book, Revival If. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then, because all the blessings of God are conditional, God says, I'll do this when you meet the criterion. When you do that, I will do this. But if you never do that, you bind me from doing this because I forever surrendered my right to act independently in your life. You must get out of the religious mindset that says, God, when are you going to do something? Instead of crying out, where is the Lord God of Elijah? God needs to know where are his Elijahs? Where are the intercessors standing in the gap, making up the hedge for humanity? Where are those praying mothers? Where are those weeping grandfathers? 
Where are those parents going into their child's bedroom and taking hold at the foot of their bed on their knees of their covers in their hands and praying as though those covers were the horns of the altar? Why isn't the church filled before Sunday morning can get started with hundreds of people on their knees crying out, God save my family. God save my spouse. I don't want a divorce. God come in my marriage. It's really quiet. Do you know why? Because we are a generation devoid of any personal responsibility. People think we shouldn't have to have identification to vote. Too hard. Too hard to get identification. Of course, you have to have it to get in the ball game. Nobody seems to have a problem with that. You have to have it at Walmart. Nobody seems to have a problem with that. We're void of any personal responsibility. We are the greatest excuse-making generation that has ever walked the crusty surface of this people planet. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm gonna start taking responsibility. Would you like me to become so blunt as to say, if your children go to hell, that's on you. That's not on the church. That's on us. Somebody told me the other day, they were in a great problem, made good money. But they said, Pastor, could the church help us? Because we're in a situation and we've got some medical bills. I said, well, what about your insurance? Oh, we don't have any of that. We live by faith. I said, well, if you live by faith, why are you asking me? You're not living by faith. You're living with your hands stuck out. Any man that will not provide for his house is worse than an infidel. Wow, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. Personal responsibility. If you've heard the gospel and you end up in hell, that's on you. And I will remind you that sins of omission are of no different degree than sins of commission. It's not simply some act that you do, it's what you do not do. He said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? The book says, go out and compel men and women to come in. Where's your compulsion? Do you have a compulsion to see every member of your family born again? 
Do you have a compulsion for the people in your family to be healed? Do you have a compulsion to share the gospel of Christ? Or are you a staff person that just takes a paycheck? Where's your compulsion? When's the last time you personally brought anybody to church on All About One Sunday? All About One is not about you. Folks say, well, I made it today. Who'd you bring with you? Who'd you invite? Who did you personally go to? This is why God had me write 250 pages on the subject of revival. Because we need it. Don't look at me all glum like I'm condemning you. I don't even have the ability to condemn you. I do, however, have the power to convict you. And to convince you. Number one, to convict you of sin. Number two, to convince you of righteousness. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, I can fix this. I can get this right. Are you ready? Because we're in Job. We're going to weep between the porch and the altars. Throw your hands up and shout, God, give me tears again. This morning, let's journey to another place. Let's journey to another time. Let's go to the Oklahoma Panhandle. The Oklahoma Panhandle. There we find the raggedy remnants of a farm in 1939. The Great Depression has basically loosed its stranglehold on the rest of America, but not here. Not in the notorious and horrific Dust Bowl. It's here. In late summer, a leather-faced farmer and his frail wife stand together on a wood plank porch of a wood-framed shack. That shack is buried up to the window openings with dust as far as you could see. They scan across a flat landscape. It's featureless and they can see for over 50 miles in any direction. And they've seen nothing but cloudless days for eight miserable years. Not so much as do in the morning. Not a drop of rain for eight years. I'm not talking about the Mojave Desert. I'm not talking about South Sudan. I'm talking 
about the breadbasket of the world, the interior, the plains of the United States of America. Standing beside them, their little dirty, barefoot children, standing there in what my mother grew up in, tattered flower sack dresses. And those little children are looking upward into the faces of their bone-weary parents for any sign of hope, any glance of encouragement. They're starving. Most of their family, their neighbors, their friends, they packed up what little they had left. And they headed out a long, long time ago. They drove westward, many of them making it as far as California. But the terminal blow to this entire horrific tale was dealt on April the 14th. If we taught history in schools anymore, you would all know it. But we're too busy trying to tell people that there are 14 different sexes when there are two. XY, XX. That day was forever labeled Black Sunday. Five o'clock in the afternoon, a cry from one of the children caused those parents to come rushing out of the house, back onto that porch, outside approaching from the north. They saw a living, churning wall of dirt devouring everything in its black wake. Birds fell like rain from the sky. Jackrabbits strangled to death suffocating in the grip of that relentless rolling wall of dirt that blotted out the sun. That one single dust storm, that one single day carried with it 300,000 tons of dirt. That's a lot, Jim. You poured about that much concrete this year. 300,000 tons. That's 600 million pounds in one storm of dirt in the air. Sounds like the modern pulpits of America for the last 25 years. Nothing but rot and dust and moth and death dressed up in a pretty Christmas bow. While us jackrabbits, those of us hungry for God, those of us thirsty for a move of God are strangling to death on their dirt. The storm passed. The devastated couple that didn't leave, they decided to dig out again, so they dug out again. But for others, nature's savage attack extinguished the flickering flame of hope, but not for this couple. For the next three years, 
No rain for eight years. For the next three years, this God-fearing, faithful, church-going family didn't understand the word defeat. They didn't understand give up. They didn't understand compromise. They didn't understand just walk away. They didn't understand where there's COVID, we might as well just watch church at home. This was not a family where if the air conditioning wasn't right or the they baby didn't get its diety changed like they thought it should in the nursery, or if the sermon was too loud or too long, or if there were too many people dancing and their joy offended your depression, you decided to stay home. No, no, no. They bought seed on credit. Let me say it this way. They had faith when nobody else had a flicker of hope. They were far beyond hope and into faith. They said, we're going to take what we've got. We are going to scratch into this hard earth just one more time. They planted winter wheat in September, hoping that the fall's winter rains after 11 long years would come. Can I tell you, I've been standing on this wooden front porch screaming revival for 47 years. A lot of folks have drifted by the wayside. Time was when you had to get here an hour early to get into these 5,200 seats on Sunday morning. Forty-seven years. Unwaveringly. Dear God, I've raised up preachers in 10,000 churches across America. Oh, we're going to call me every week. Well, we're going to have to go to more services. I said, great. I was doing that in 1978. Oh, we thought it was new. No, it's not new. I've been screaming souls for 47 years. I have been screaming the power of Pentecost with miracle signs and wonders following for 47 years. And I am not just about ready to leave this wooden plank front porch because I haven't seen it like I know it's coming yet. I'm still sowing seed. I'm still scratching in the earth. I'm still believing. If they could just get that, it would settle their debt and give them a little leftover to live on for at least a little while. But for three more suffocating, dusty, damned years, those rains refuse to come. Do you know what stops the rain of revival? One thing, idolatry. I have a right. God said, don't live that way. I have a right. 
God said, don't do that. I want to be happy. Well, just go ahead and be foolishly happy and end up in hell. The kingdom of God and of his Christ is not Burger King. You don't get to have it your way. You get to have it the Bible way. They're beyond desperate now. Three more years have passed. It's been 11 years, over a decade. So they gathered up what little bit of seed they had left. And they scratched into that rock hard ground, plowing through another Sunday morning. Often alone, often deserted, often abandoned, often called crazy, often told, why don't you just give up? That devil is a liar. I don't understand the meaning of the word give up. I don't even know what you're talking about, literally. 1982, God told me he'd forever remove the meaning of the word defeat from my mind. Like I try to understand it. Like the seven years in a row, they said, Pastor, it's over in November. We don't have a dime to pay a bill. The creditors are coming. They're gonna take your house. Your family's gonna be on the street seven years in a row. I didn't even tell you. I went out and stood with that dust piled up around here and I spoke to the clouds that were not there. And we still here, baby. Don't you dare give up. Don't you dare surrender. Don't you dare quit. They took that handful of seed and they sowed it with whispered prayers and salty tears. So then like Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. Anybody in that crowd? Three. I said against hope, he believed in hope. Anybody in that crowd? I said, anybody in the crowd that when everybody else gave up hope, you still standing on that wood frame porch. Shout revival if, only if. I thought this would go a lot faster than this. Today, they head out for another afternoon's front porch vigil. And suddenly, could somebody just whisper the word suddenly? Because God gave me a word for 2023. <laughs> And it has a whole lot to do 
with what you've been praying for, with what you've been waiting for, with what you've been contending for, with what you've been fighting for to make its breakthrough suddenly. Somebody get happy. Look at it. There he is. Hadn't seen a drop of rain or a cloud in the sky for 11 years. But suddenly, that husband and his bone-weary wife turn around and look at each other for a little bit of encouragement and for a little bit of assurance that the eyes aren't deceiving them. Anybody ever seen a spiritual mirage? <laughs> no, only faith people know what I'm talking about. The devil will send you a mirage. You think it's a pool and go dive into it and get a face full of dirt. So get up, dust yourself off, and look again. You didn't hear a word I said. So together they shrugged their shoulders and they looked again. It was real. So is yours. You didn't hear anything I said. I said it's real. Shot it's real. It's real. I know it's real. And it's coming suddenly. There was a line of clouds, purple and saffron and white and gray is approaching very, very fast. Soon they begin to actually, here's where I am. Here's where I am spiritually, church. That couple actually began to smell the moisture in the air. Is anybody smelling the moisture of the rain of revival coming? Anybody? Their long-awaited gully washing downpouring was on its way. Suddenly they began to celebrate. That's what all this was this morning. We weren't dancing in the rain, we were dancing for the rain. We weren't spinning in the rain, we were spinning for the rain. We weren't shouting in the rain, we were shouting for the rain. It's coming suddenly. There was a whole lot of rejoicing on that wood plank front porch. Just inside the house. Don't miss this. Just inside the house, there was an open Bible with a three-fourths burn candle sitting beside it. Its pages had flown open in the pre-flood wind. It was stuck there at Joel, second chapter, were two verses underlined in a number two pencil. Be glad then, you children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, 
for he has given you the former rain. Everything you've seen up to this point is the former rain moderately in a measure, but he is causing to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain all in one month. Somebody shout, send the rain. Act like you believe it's coming. Act like you believe a rain is coming, about to hit this place, and then it's thundering torrents of overflowing water is about to wash your entire family up into this altar filled with the Holy Ghost, demonic lifestyles broken off of them. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.